Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. The crew is with you. It's episode 48. Everyone's in attendance. Richard, how is, how's it going? Hello, everyone. What's up? Seth, what's up? What's up, guys? It is going pretty well. Awesome, awesome. So back for another edition of the cast. Uh, a lot on the docket. We have another full cast of fish mail. This is insane. It's amazing how much uh, how much fish mail we get. It's awesome. We love answering it, and we're going to devote a good amount of time to answering your questions. Really uh, amazing. It's just so many great questions. I can't wait. Uh, you know, we discuss these, and we're going to answer them. Uh, but on the docket, uh, we're going to talk about a really good spoiler. Not a leak. It was a spoiler. So just so that's out of the <laughs> out of the way, uh, we're gonna, we're going to talk about that first. We'll talk a little bit about something we wanted to bring up. Uh, it's not super important right now, but it is important as we go along. We're going to talk about some rotational stuff. Um, Seth wrote you, you wrote an article uh, a while back, uh, a couple weeks ago now, about uh, betting on Battle for Zendikar. So we wanted to kind of discuss that and just rotational stuff. And we're going to handle the fish mail. So. Let's get this started. Uh, let's talk about the spoiler. Richard. Goblin Dark Dwellers. Also the buy a box promo. It's a rare. Uh, three generic. Three. I don't know what we call this now. Generic mana? Three yeah, any color mana. <laughs> <laughs> Two red. <laughs> menace. Uh, so five converted mana cost. So it's the creature goblin. It has menace. When Goblin Dark Dweller enters the battlefield, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. Uh, and then if that card will be put in your graveyard this turn, exile it. And it is a 4-4 body. What do you guys think? So quick thing, they're really handing out menace to a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, this is like the second creature with menace already. So I don't know if that's like a motif of the set, but yeah, a lot of stuff with menace. Um... First glance, and just, I mean, I've had a lot of time to sit down and look at this card. Without going into the financial aspect, this is a really powerful card. I mean, red does not get stuff like this uh, in Magic's history, and this seems really good in a standard where you have Coligan's Command, you have another, you know, just a slew of really good spells at three converted mana costs or less. And there's already been talks of maybe Grixis control in modern utilizing this as like a one of or something like that i i don't that could that's not like outside the realm of possibility but this is a really solid card and in red uh i'm liking this a lot what do you think uh seth yeah it's obviously insane with coligan's command and i think that's the reason i could see it maybe seeing playing grixis or something is that deck just loves to grind with coligan's command and having another yeah. way to get a creature back from the graveyard, make your opponent discard, do all the crazy stuff that Colgan's Command can do on a really reasonable and sort of oddly evasive body. It could have some appeal, but I think it's it's definitely good enough for standard. You're going to have to get used to Goblin, Dark Dwellers, plus Colgan's Command in standard, because I'm almost certain that will be a thing in some deck in standard. Even when you lose the, uh, the fetch lands and you lose like kind of this, like, tri-color, four-color, five-color uh, splashes and going uh, all that stuff going on. This is still a really good card because Colgan's Command is not going anywhere after April, and you still have a lot of good spells that are either going to be in this set or uh, Shadows over Innistrad, and just a lot to choose from in Dragons and uh, Origins. So, um, yeah, I, I really I would be surprised if this is not uh, played in, in a good capacity. This is the new Seed Rhino. Everyone will yeah. 
play double red somehow to to play this. Like it is so broken. It's it's a four four with menace. So even if you have a siege rhino across the battlefield, you can't block it, right? So and if you flashback a removal spell, that means they need to have three creatures sitting around. Uh, you know, one to get removed and then two left to actually block this thing. And that's just ridiculous, right? Like you could flash back a ruinous pack, you could flash back a Coligan's command, you know, whatever lightning strike card we have. It's it's just too good, I think. But like I'm I'm hoping we're getting lots of powerful cards to balance it out. And my guess is since this is one of the first official spoilers, it's not gonna be, you know, one of the, the premier rares. So we'll see, but you know, maybe they've listened and Battle for Zendikar was so watered down that Oath will be the exact opposite and be super high powered and just crazy cards all over the place. It's yeah. It, it's really interesting that although it doesn't scale as well, when you are getting back a three converted mana cost card, you're getting the same deal as Snapcaster. And when you're working with a Coligan's command or something, it's actually better than Snapcaster because you're not having to pay three different colors of mana. So in in some ways, right. it's actually comparable. Like when you're flashing back something that costs three, you are paying the exact same amount of mana you would with Snapcaster Mage, which everyone knows is busted, uh, to flash back something that costs three. So so I think that it is super powerful. The problem is it doesn't have the flexibility of Snapcaster, which might keep it down a little bit in Eternal formats. Like, you can't flash back a Brainstorm or a Serum Visions uh, as efficiently as a Snapcaster can, but it's still, like, that's a really... Anything that even looks like Snapcaster, especially in red, which isn't a color, like you said, Chaz, it gets these kind of abilities, it's got to be a really strong card. Yeah. It also looks like a Bloodbraid Elf, right? You're... Right. Quote unquote cascading from your graveyard and you have a 4 4 menace body, right? Or, you know, it looks right. like Abbott, which is kind of looks like Snapcaster Mage, so it looks dangerous. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I mean, it is. tested this out and this is not just going to run well, all over the place. Well, it looks dangerous because it is dangerous, but there, you know, obviously there's a lot of pros. One of the cons, obviously, it is five mana, you know, so there really is kind of a cap on how many you'd want of these. I don't know, like, how, like, if every deck is just going to jam four of them just to try to get five mana out of this, like, just to play this, uh, because you are getting, for five mana, a lot of value. You're getting an evasive creature, you're getting a spell, uh, but it, it is five, so that kind of diminishes how much it could see play as we go along into the other formats. Uh, Standard, obviously, I think, can uh, support this very well, and I, you know, there's no real reason not to play for, uh, but, you know, we'll see. I, I do think that is a uh, one considerable drawback, and I think, you know, it being five, that is kind of like the tipping point of really how much can you include this, because, you know, Grixis isn't look to, looking to jam four of these. This might, you know, just be a one of, whereas yeah, Standard, it could be the four of. If you go down the list of five mana creatures that see play in modern, it is not very long. I can't yeah, even it, think it, of one off the top of my head. In all honesty, I don't, yeah, there, there's just not much at four or greater in in modern other than like Primeval Titan. So short of that, I, I mean, there's just not a long list. It is a goblin, so you can flash back goblin grenade for like super value. <laughs> you can do that. It's weird that this is a goblin that's a four four with menace. I'm like, why? <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I guess even, it's a swarm of goblins. Is that is that what they're going for here? Yeah, there's like multiples, so kind of have to block 
you know, a couple of them. <laughs> I, I really like, I dislike that goblins have gotten less stupid. Like, I, at one point I was researching an article <laughs> that I never published about flavor text on magic cards, and goblins are like the stupidest creatures in the entire multiverse. But these guys don't seem all that dumb. Like, they are flashing back the <laughs> cards. They're not accidentally killing themselves. So the, the flavor of goblins, I've, I dislike how it's changed over Magic's history. I liked them better yeah. when they were, like, goblin digging team, accidentally trying to tunnel under a wall and having it collapse on them and stuff. The flavor <laughs> of the old goblins was way more appealing. Yeah, these goblins seem like they know what they're doing. So <laughs> Yeah, they're on top of it. They're, they're pretty yeah, sharp. They, they know what's going on. Uh, but, yeah... Uh, before we move on, just quick uh, financial. What what do you think, Seth? This is uh, I've seen these sell out uh, a good amount on Star City Games. This opened up as like a one ninety nine pre order. I wasn't really too keen on going in on some sets, although on eBay is kind of a little bit of a different story. But I didn't really count on those listings either, just because it was before the kind of thirty day mark like period, and I didn't really accept those listings yet because you know obviously it's a great way to get scammed but wait, wait, wait. before before seth answers can you explain to our listeners what the 30-day ebay scam window is for okay those so, i don't know right so on ebay you get 30 days seller protection and after that 30 days you're kind of you know it's really you're kind of sol <laughs> uh so you you do yourself a great disservice not buying into the seller protection and the listings up now are definitely way past the 30 days uh, between now and the release date of both of the Gatewatch. So you're basically buying into a listing that they have no obligation of uh, sending or uh, refunding your money. You yeah, basically so, have no so if they don't, Yeah, if they don't send you the card and then you file a complaint with eBay, eBay will say it's been 30 days past uh, when right. you purchased the card uh, just because it's a pre-order. And then they won't, they can't do anything. So you should wait to within 30 days of, uh, you know, the set release so that you actually get the card on time. And if there's a problem, you can contact eBay. Right. So that being said, uh, like, like I said, there was a kind of disparity between the eBay listings and some of the sites uh, opening up pre-orders. Uh, seems like the 199 uh, areas where this is opening up, Seth. Uh, I just don't know. Like, as good as it is, it is a rare. It is five mana. There are a couple things going against it in terms of the financial uh, you know, viewpoint. So what do you think? Yeah. Well, for one thing, I hate trying to predict prices when yeah. we know so little about the set because like the prices of cards in the set's very contextual and it depends on what's around it. And we just don't right. know that yet. But I think 199, it could go higher than that. If you look at Siege Rhino though, which it's hard to imagine this card seeing much more play than Siege Rhino, which was just about the most played creature in standard for a long period. Yeah. That was like four-ish dollars for a lot of its life. It spiked up to eight a couple times around Pro Tours when it was near it near when it first released. But so I would think that the best case scenario is maybe like that range, like four-ish dollars with maybe some spikes if it happens to do really well to Pro Tour. Right, but I mean, already coming out of the gate, we're getting two printings of this, so I that's, just don't know. Like, that's true, yeah, but yeah. but but the buy a box promos typically like that doesn't kill the price of those cards. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, like Supreme Verdict was a buy a box promo that was still like a five or six dollar wrath why it was in standard. So if it's heavily played, it can still be in that price range even though it's a buy a box. Yeah. 
the thing about this is, uh, as much as you know, you're buying these at two each, one ninety nine. I mean, they probably won't go that much lower. I mean, uh, although there are a lot of good rares that just never hover above a dollar, and this could easily just go right below one dollar. So I don't know. Uh, but and you're you're the biggest problem with not the, just this card, but all of Oath of the Gatewatch is there isn't a standard Pro Tour around its release. Like, that's what bumps up the prices most often for the new cards. Yeah. And since it's a modern Pro Tour, you're not going to get that, oh, this this card just won the Pro Tour, the supply's still low because the set just released, it jumps up to $10. That's, like, basically impossible to happen with the Pro Tour being modern this time around. Yeah, the one, the one other caveat, and this is just from a financial perspective again, is that the Expeditions are nowhere near as good as the Battle for Zendikar ones, so I think that's kind of just you know a fact and so i'd be really interested to see how much less product of this is going to get open yeah that's a good point and and we just i guess we really don't know and we still don't know what else is in the set if there's like really powerful uh, modern playable creature lands this go around things like that can still sell the set even without the expeditions i mean they've been selling sets without expeditions for 25 years now so so they could do it again if the rest of the set is powerful and we just don't know yet yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with all you said. I, I'm i up in the air. I mean, they've been selling out. I don't know if I should just grab them now just in case. Uh, I'm leaning towards no just because of all the kind of pre-order hype that goes on and not a lot of cards end up holding this price. But this definitely seems like one of the better rares thus far. Uh, so, But like you said, says we just still don't have enough information to uh, set a metric, like to compare the other rares to this. You know, you never know. Maybe there's just better cards to have. Uh, And and while this is a strong card, strong cards do not always translate into financial uh, uh, gains. That is, that's definitely true. I will say though, if you can pick these up for $1.99, you're probably not going to hurt yourself too much. It's just like a hedge against it ending up being a four or five dollar card what's the worst thing that's going to happen it's going to you're going to lose 50 cents a copy or something so i wouldn't go deep on them like financially but if you think you're going to want to place that for standard 199 isn't a horrible price like that yeah. it's not like you're paying ten dollars a copy so it's not a bad hedge to pick up a place that just for yourself just an off chance it does break into modern or something and ends up being five or ten bucks yeah i would that that's something i can agree with uh, that's really the only spoiler we had. So, uh, speaking of rotation, let's just go right into that. Uh, unless Richard, you, you had one, anything else to add to that real quick? I got nothing. Let's talk about okay. rotation. Okay. So rotation is something that happens in April. Uh, and for any listener that doesn't know, um, so what we're losing in April is cons and fate reforged. And what we're gaining is, well, Oath of the Gatewatch, obviously, and, uh, Shadows over Innistrad. So April is going to be kind of a big thing because we're losing fetch lands. We don't know uh, where a couple things will end up. But Seth, you wrote a really good article betting on battle for Zendikar, and this is just really speaking about Zendikar. Uh, but that is going to be one of the main sets along with Oath of the Gate Watch, uh, Dragons, and Origins that are still around. Obviously, from a financial perspective, you want to focus on Battle for Zendikar and Oath of the Gatewatch because those are going to be around even longer than uh, Dragons and Origins. And you went into a few of the cards that a lot of which I agree of, some of which, uh, you know, are uh, a little uh, 
uh, eyebrow raising, but uh, for the most part, I agree with you. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Oh, well, I mean, the cards I mentioned, and this, like Chaz said, is just Battle for Zendikar. There's also opportunity in Magic Origins in uh, and Dragons of Tarkir as well. But in Battle for Zendikar, my best bet of all is the Battle for Zendikar Dual Lands. Like, I went into some of the research on just, like, the history of the main land cycle, rare land cycle and standard. And those cards, usually, most of them at some point in their life cycle end up averaging over $10 a piece. So there's yeah. a very realistic chance that once we lose uh, the fetch lands, that these cards are going to increase in price a lot because they're going to increase in demand a lot. They're going to go from being like one ofs or two ofs in decks because people are fetching them out to being four ofs in decks because they all of a sudden become the best land cycle in standard. Discounting the creature lands, which don't really overlap because they're enemy colored. So it, they can be played together um, depending on what colors you're playing. But those, those are the cycle I'm most excited about. The other cards I mentioned, part the water veil is a card I really like. And we see some more awakened synergy uh, with uh, what was the octopus card that was spoiled for uh, clutch of currents, clutch of currents or is... clutch of tentacles, or crush, of tentacles. crash of tentacles, <laughs> crush, crush of tentacles. <laughs> crush, yeah. But we see some cards. It seems like there will be cards that will work well with awaken uh, in the new set. So there's a chance that part the water veil becomes like a finisher. And in the long run, taking extra turn cards usually end up being valuable um, from casual demand anyway. And then painful truths. I was excited about that when it was 85 cents. It's now almost three dollars, so I'm not as excited about it as a as a rare. That's actually kind of a lot of money for a rare that's in print. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't be buying that as much now. The rest of the list: quarantine field, planner outburst, from beyond, and just for Chaz, because I know you agree with this one: Akum Firebird. Uh, yeah, that's really the, the the main one I uh, <laughs> I have an issue with. Well, only because like. I got trust me. I I've made a case for a, a different Phoenix, although uh, this one wasn't uh, nearly as good either. Uh, back when uh, Flame Wreath Phoenix was a thing, I, I just kind of figured like, well, you know, it could have a shot. You know, either way, you're getting some sort of value out of it, and just I just I just don't see it. You know, bearing any kind of uh, card that can compete with this. At four mana, that's flying, uh, that, you know, just has a chance of being in any other deck list. I just still don't see this as something that uh, a deck list wants to play at four. Uh, but yeah, just the Akum Firebird, I just have an issue with. I'm not seeing a lot of huge upside there. But everything else, you really kind of have a lot of good things to say and a lot of good cards to look at. Quarantine Field, especially Part the Water Veil, are cards that uh, I can really look at, especially Part the Water Veil. Painful Truths, obviously, that looked better when you were writing the article, uh, and not so much now. Uh, and Planar Outburst, usually Wrath Spells end up holding a couple bucks, and this is way under that mark uh, right now, so... Bearing any other Wrath-type spells, I mean, this is going to be the Wrath spell to play because it kind of has that dual, uh, you can awaken, you have a Wrath spell. So, you know, there there are some good, uh, you know, cards to look at there. The one thing I wanted to bring up to you, Seth, is I, I also looked at, uh, when I looked at the Battle for Zendikar Lands, the, it is a good place to either grab the copies now if you're going to play for them grab the copies if you're looking to you know just have something that's going to appreciate closer to rotation time and yeah you, you were absolutely right 
every almost basically every land cycle that's been standard playable, even the more mediocre ones like the temples uh, that were kind of deemed mediocre going out of the gate. I mean, Temple of Enlightenment at one point was a $9 card. I, I go further, Isolated Chapel was over $10 retail. Uh, even the uh, Pain Lands, which I'm going to get to in a second, as many times as they've been reprinted, has had a, you know, they've, they've had success in, in the retail uh, price tag. But the only thing with the Battlelands now, and I bring up Pain Lands, is because... Do you think that they're going to be conflicting now because of this new colorless symbol? Uh, the Painlands just got a, a whole lot better. Um, y- yes and no. The thing is, that could happen in the short term, but the yes. reason that Battle for Zendikar is so appealing is you still have the fall rotation. Like, typically, Battle for Zendikar would peak next fall at that rotation. So even if the Painlands are the big land cycle for a few months this spring, it'll still most likely be the Battle for Zendikar lands this fall, and that's when those cards typically will peak in price anyway, is the the fall after they are printed. So it's a long-term play. I still really like them, but it is a fair point that you might want the pain lands because of the colorless symbol for the short term. Yeah, so that was kind of the only real uh, point I wanted to bring up. And I don't know what Shadows of Innistrad is going to bring. I'm assuming, I mean, it would be good if they just brought back the Innistrad buddy lands, because I think they would play really well with the uh, Battle for Zendikar lands, but that's just me. Uh, but I don't think they would severely limit uh, both land cycles. Because, I mean, you're going to need them for standard. Lands are always uh, in demand. And I, you know, don't, I think this, we're at the floor right now. And I, I think there's a chance that with this new block cadence that we don't see a land cycle every big set. That's like, true, we get, too. Uh, we get a big set in the fall and the spring now. We just might not get a land cycle or a rare land cycle in Shadows over Innistrad. I think that's going to happen sometimes. Whether or not that happens with Shadows over Innistrad, I have no idea. But I think there will be some big sets that just don't have a rare land cycle. Yeah, that is a really good point. That is a really good point. Not something I really was thinking about. But yeah, um, in terms of just uh, rotation stuff, obviously you should have been – you really should have been getting rid of – or you still have a chance to – um, maybe it's not obvious to everyone, but uh, you should be really getting rid of your current standard stuff that is not rotating. Um, you're going to be taking a significant hit on all of those at this point, but you know you might as well really just get away, get out of them, get rid of them, take store credit at this point, so you can recoup some of the uh, buy list damage that you're going to be getting, or you know what, sell them or what have you, and really just have a good amount of money or store credit to work with to pick up some of the stuff that uh, Seth and myself have talked about. Uh, definitely the, the Battle for Zendikar lands. Some of the even the, the lesser stuff like Part the Water Veil, even stuff like uh, Wasteland Strangler, uh, From Beyond, just the, the couple rares that it's, it's going to be their floor uh, for right now. And if they see any play, they're obviously going to start trending back upward because the opening frenzy for all of this stuff especially Battle for Zendikar, is going to be less and less product is going to be open. So you want to kind of get in on some of this stuff now rather than later. I I definitely agree, and you're completely right. Uh, it would have been better to already have sold out of your Cons of Tarkir and Fate Reforged stuff, but still it's going to keep getting worse. So the sooner you do it to <laughs> today, the more you're going to yeah. gain opposed to waiting. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, though, I thought it might be interesting. I have the list of MTG Goldfish standard prices up, 
And I have a few cards in specific that I want to get your opinion on as to, at their current price, whether you would hold them through rotation or whether you would still try to sell them. Oh, so I like maybe, this. I like this game. <laughs> so maybe so maybe uh, you and Richard can give me your opinion, and I might chime in from now and then. But first one, Mythic from Fate Reforged, Monastery Mentor is currently almost 17 bucks, sixteen ninety seven. Do you buy, sell, or hold Monastery Mentor? I have that as a hold, uh, and the reason I have that as a hold is because I don't think I, I don't think they're going to drop significantly at rotation. Uh, it is a card that is working its way into modern, has found its way into legacy. Uh, I like foils a little better just because of just you know reprints these days. I don't know if it's going to have a reprint, but um, if you can get the foils, that would be great. I don't know where they're at right now. I think they're pretty expensive already, but if you can get a few of the uh, Monastery Mentor dump-off, like as people are getting rid of them, uh, for a good price, I would grab them and hold them. Uh, it is one of the better Mythics out of that uh, kind of uh, Tarkir era, that block, so I really like holding them. Richard, what do you think? All right, you're going to have to take my advice with a grain of salt, but <laughs> I'm going to say hold. Uh, basically, most of the demand for mentors coming from Eternal formats, uh, so I don't know that standard would affect it too much, so I would be on the side of hold. I I am on the hold to possibly even buy side. It still has a yeah. really strong buy list at 13 bucks, which is a solid spread. Foils are like $72, just to answer your question, Jazz. Oh, but, great. <laughs> but I would, I would definitely hold them, if not, if not consider buying them, if the price drops at all at rotation. So yeah. I think we're all in agreement, at least to hold maybe some consideration of buying if the price drops. A second the, card. Ask the foil then. Don't, don't. <laughs> yeah. That's already pretty high. Don't worry about the regulars then. <laughs> Second card, also a mythic from Fate Reforged, Ugin the Spirit Dragon, currently at forty three eighty six. <sighs> Foils are to, eighty bucks, just so you know. I, I have to say sell. And only because well, actually see this is gonna go into a conversation that we I didn't know if we were gonna spend a lot of time on, but it, it seems like more and more of this kind of Eldrazi ramp stuff is going to start happening in modern. Uh, we talked about offcast, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention it here. Um, these black red, these blue black like Eldrazi lists are starting to show up in modern to a good success, and they're going to start becoming a thing, I think. But I don't know if any of or all of them are are going to be including Ugin of the Spear Dragon. So I I think it's just going to be delegated to Tron. So I don't know how really much upside. Ugin of the Spirit Dragon has at just being delegated to one deck in modern after it rotates. Because that's really the only place it's ever going to see play. Yeah, I have to say sell as well. It's $40. It's pretty high for something seeing play in a niche deck. Like, I think Karn dropped significantly at rotation before picking up again. So there was a period of time where it was pretty low, which I believe Ugin will probably follow the same path. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. I would sell, but I would have my eyes open for if the price drops down to like 20 bucks or something. If it really goes that low, then I would be very interested in buying because I think Ugin can be $40 again a couple years from now if it doesn't get reprinted. I think it yeah. has that potential depending on how modern shakes out. So sell immediately, maybe buy back in this summer or something after rotation. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Well, you always you also have to look at is that Karn is always going to be a four of, and, and if you look just through some of the deck lists on MTG Goldfish, uh, 
you you see a pretty big split. It's always at least four. It's always four Karn and then like maybe one or two Ugin. So I just don't know like how that split is favorable for Ugin uh, because it's only really seen playing Tron. And then on top of that, it's basically a one of in the main deck and maybe one in the sideboard. So I mean, Karn is a four of and it's it's bounced back in a major way despite a reprint. But I don't know if I can say the same for Ugin. Can Ugin dodge a dual deck reprint? Has has this time passed yet, or can he still be reprinted in a dual deck somewhere? I don't. Yes, I think it dodged it. Okay. We, because we, the, the next one is a is a dual is a. Oh, I guess we know what the next one is. Yeah. <laughs> what about the one, the one after? Is far too late. Yeah. So I mean, Ugin uh, yeah. seems like one of those cards that could be slotted in as like one of those casual all star hits, but I guess he's dodged. He's dodged a dual deck printing already. I, I would expect, because of his price and modern demand, that he would be more of a Modern Masters type reprint would be my, my thinking. Yeah, that would be Ugin. a while from now. <laughs> yes, which would probably be like four years. So unless it shows up in something random, it might have some time to really grow in value over the next few years. Yeah, I can't uh, speak on like EDH stuff but or like the EDH format. I'm assuming it's really good there. But I just can't see it like not dropping a good amount at rotation. Like, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to drop a good amount. But yeah, you're right, Seth. It does have room to grow back, like, over time. All right, we got three more real quick so we okay. can uh, get on to our fish mail. So moving to cons of Tarkir, Mythic Rare Clever Impersonator, $2.25. Yeah, this is one I've actually been dis- – I've actually watched this one for a while, and – I like foils, but again, this is really more of like an EDH play, commander play, and I'm just me personally, I don't like to hold uh, a lot of that stock. Just because it's, it, it really does take a while to move some of this stuff. Uh, I don't know, maybe other people have more success than I do, but uh, when it comes to my, the, the stuff that I hold for EDH in comparison to all the other stuff, it's definitely the EDH commander stuff that uh, is a lot harder to move. Richard, what yeah, do you think? This card's been two bucks for like its almost entire existence, so I, I don't yeah. see it going anywhere. So I would probably wait. I, I would sell now or sell or hold. But my guess is it'll drop a bit more after rotation. But I don't see it dropping that much. It'll eventually pick up steam again because it is a casual all-star. So uh, eventually it'll go back up. But I think you can pick them up cheaper sometime in the near future. Yeah. If anything, if I were to buy this card, I'd be buying foils. For for me, if I could get some sort of guarantee from Wizards that they wouldn't reprint <laughs> this card for three years, I would buy hundreds of copies of it. I think this is like the ideal casual card to buy at rotation or leading up to rotation and hold for a few years. The problem is everything about that card is just so generic that it can be reprinted anywhere. Literally any product yeah. Wizards makes, they could put a clever impersonator in. So that's what scares me. Like by the numbers and by its like power and abilities, I think it's a great buy, but I'm just worried that it's going to pop up in some supplemental product and crush my dreams. Yeah. It hasn't had any printing in a supplemental product yet, has it? It has not. One printing okay. so far. Okay. Yeah, uh, I just want to double check. Two, two more. Uh, okay. Everyone's favorite card, Siege <laughs> Rhino. $2.67. There's just so many of these. <laughs> I mean, again, if I had to look at this, I'd be looking at foils, pack foils preferably, but I just don't know. I The good thing is is that, uh, the uh, well, for me anyway, the Clash Pack, what, was that what it was, the Clash Pack? 
I believe so. We're an event deck, one or the other. I think it was the Clash Pack where it was the alternate foil. Yes, yes, you're right. The good thing on that is the art is pretty abysmal on that one in comparison to the older one. It's a, <laughs> uh, for the original printing. To me, anyway, I don't know. Maybe some other people like it. But uh, if I had to look at Siege Rhino, I would be looking at pack foils. And even then, like, the pack foils have dropped significantly. Richard? I would so. I, I think so many standard players have Siege Rhinos, and there's only one deck in Eternal Formats that play this. Uh, Absent, and I don't even know if that's a good deck anymore. That's, that can mm. come and go. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think there's just going to be so many of these getting dumped uh, at rotation that the price will drop significantly. My, my verdict is hold, though, because at this point, I mean, you might as well just hold them. I mean, you're going to get dirt on bio... Uh, Although the highest buy list is 140. Eh, maybe, yeah. Maybe I would just buy list to take it the credit. Uh, yeah, I, you're going to just be buy listing them anyway. I, I agree with both of you. I think the supply is just too high. So even if it does keep seeing play in Abzan and Modern, I don't think it has too much financial potential. And it is, like, like Clever Impersonator, a card that could show up in some random product sooner or later. Yeah, I mean, the Clash Pack really kind of killed it, uh, all things considered. And our last, well, group of cards, I guess, probably the most important, the Fetchlands. Averaging, let's see, 19 to $21, except for Windswept Heath, which is cheap because of the supplemental product reprinting. What do you do with $20 Fetchlands? If you primarily play Standard, they're a sell. If you play other formats, they're a hold. Because... You have them, you have the fetch lands, you have your sets. You might as well just keep them because you need them to play. Uh, if you're playing standard, you have no use for them, uh, so you're just going to be selling them anyway, so you might as well just sell them because you're not going to use them anymore. And, yeah, I, I would be holding these. And if you can get some good deals on them as people sell them off, I would be buying them. So all three, actually, <laughs> which is kind of weird. <laughs> I've managed to say all three of them for these because they really – it's an it's a complex situation, right? Because not everyone's gonna want to be holding on to them because they have no use for them for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know who just primarily plays standard, but if you're in that camp, go ahead. Uh, if you're playing modern, uh, you might as well hold them because they're not really gonna be dropping that much. And if you want a few to kind of park some uh, investment money, uh, go ahead and buy some of the dump off copies if you can get a good deal for them. Richard. I kind of agree with Chaz here. I, I think if you still need them, then you should be picking them up. Um, but I don't think they're going to crazily spike or anything. Uh, I don't think Wizards will reprint them anytime soon. They've shown that they're very conservative uh, with printing fetch lands. So, you know, if you need them, uh, pick them up. Uh, if you don't need them, you could sell them if you need the money or you can just hold on to them. So I guess I kind of agree with Chaz here. They're, they're kind of just like the staple that everyone has sitting around, and they're not going to go too far up or too far down anytime soon. Uh, but eventually they'll they'll keep crawling up in the next you know year, two years, three years until they get reprinted again. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think you're both fed on. Uh, if you need the money, sell them. If you are know you're never going to play modern or legacy for some reason, I guess you could also sell them and buy new standard cards for the spring format. But I think they are a pretty safe place at this point to leave money uh, and expect that slow growth year over year for a few years until they're reprinted again. So yeah, I agree with everything. Right. I mean, I expect their their uh, their price graphs to 
somewhat reflect the shocks. Like the shocks didn't really like they they've been sitting kind of steady for like a while since uh, Return to Ravnica. They dropped off a little bit after they rotated out of standard, but they haven't really gone down. And if anything, they've come up a little bit. So it's basically the same thing with Fetchlands. They're not going to really decrease a whole lot. Uh, and then, you know, they'll just continue to slowly tick back up. But like Richard said, I mean, I'm not a, a anticipating a huge spike all of a sudden. Yeah, I think that they have a little more potential than the Shocks, just because they are right. almost always four ofs, why the Shocks are sometimes, just like they are in Standard, really, with the Battle for Zendikar duels. You see a couple of the fetchable duels, and then four fetches. So I think they can grow a little faster than Shocks, but I think you're right. It's not going to be a really quick uh, spike, uh, price spike or anything like that. Yeah. Do, do you think they'll drop uh, when the the enemy fetches come out? Because a lot, like right now, a lot of people are using yeah. the wrong fetches because they're cheap. But when when the correct enemy fetches are available to their deck, do you think there will be a flood uh, in the market as people get rid of the fetches they don't actually need? That's a good point too. I, I well, see, the thing is, when when the cons fetches were printed, it did affect the other fetches. So with the enemy fetches getting more uh, copies and and getting a reprint, I think that would kind of definitely put a hold on any of the growth that the other fetches are going to have because there's a new abundance of them in there uh, in the market. Yeah, that's that's what I think too. I don't think it'll suddenly decrease the price once the enemy fetches get reprinted. But I do think that'll slow down the growth and maybe keep them at the same price for a longer period of time. Yeah, but it, I, I don't think it'll have a huge negative impact on them. Maybe just like, you know, they'll just stay put for a little while and then continue on to uh, appreciate. Yep, I agree. Yep. I like that game. That was a good game. <laughs> I, I know. I really like that. Um, One other... Actually, I have one, actually, before we move on to uh, fish mail. Sorry to hold everyone up. But what do you think about the uh, Sanctum of Ugin and Shrine of the Forsaken Gods? Ooh, that's, that's an interesting one. I They're basically bulk now, right? Or just above, like between 50 cents and a dollar somewhere in there? Yeah, they've been, uh, they crept, they've creeped up a little bit, but yes, they are, hold on, let me pull them up. Sanctum of Ugin's 50 cents. Yeah, and Shrine is around there as well. Um, I think they are... And remember, you're talking to the person who bought a ton of Crucible of the Spirit Dragons. <laughs> so, but I think they are a fine bulk-level bet, and they could increase with the new Eldrazi coming out, and maybe there's some world with these crazy Eldrazi decks in Modern that they see playing there. So I don't think they're a bad bet if you can pick them up for bulk or just above bulk. Uh, but I wouldn't expect them to be more than a dollar or two, even in the best case. The supply is just going to be really high. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. That That's more of something leaning towards the other way. I know you kind of had most of your stuff as cards going out the door out of standard. Mine's looking kind of ahead towards rotation and stuff like that. Well, maybe uh, maybe we can do the game again some week with cards for the new standard and uh, see what we think about the future of some of those cards. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah. let's do that next week. I like that. <laughs> How likely will Wizards print a card that is just strictly better <laughs> than this land card in Battle for the Oh, man. You got oh, – that was brutal. That was really brutal. I still got them. I, I, can't, I can't get rid of them. You if should anyone, autograph them and give them out. I think I might. It's prizes. You'll probably turn a profit. <laughs> I'll, pay, I'll pay 50 cents. I'll, I'll pay a dollar. I'll give you 50 cents on top of the stamp. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that is you. You should just make business cards out of them. Financial <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Our That's> <laughs> advisor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if uh, anyone would want my advice printed on one here's, of my fifty crucibles. Here's my fi- here's my business card. This is one of the cards that I actually invest in. It is really awesome. Here you go. <laughs> Bringing up those fond memories. Oh, don't worry. I have plenty of them as well. Uh, I. I, I I luckily don't have them anymore, but if I did, uh, Underworld Cerberus would be my business card for sure. <laughs> God, what a what a red herring that was. That was my red herring for sure. I I just Card's don't ever buy it an... today. I still don't understand why it was never played. What? It looks pretty good even today. Looking back, you're like, oh, this card's pretty good. I mean, that's what I keep saying, but I mean, then you just realize that black and red is just an awful color pair, no matter what. You you uh you think and that's just what happens. I mean when when the last good black red card was uh, uh Pyre Zombie. I mean that's really like kind of pushing the, the envelope. <laughs> there, there's just not a lot of good black red stuff that gets printed over the years. All right, on to fish mail. Let's let's do it, Richard. Let's 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 hear these fish mail. Uh, all right. This comes from uh, Michi Chen, uh, long time listener, first time caller. I have a question directed at Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive. (laughs) That is your name. Uh, It's quite obvious that you really want to make a legacy against the odds, but the community hasn't been so accommodating. (laughs) Given that, is there any chance we might see other legacy videos in the near future, like Budget Magic featuring one of the pre-made Moto decks? I didn't even know there was a pre-made Moto deck. (laughs) Uh, So I just want to give a shout-out. Thank you to everyone. So Legacy videos Seth is it happening ever Uh, I would love to make some legacy videos and I think that we will sooner or later have a legacy budget magic I just don't know how to do it like a hundred dollar budget in legacy is not very much money at all and I'm I whenever I've started to think of a budget magic for legacy the problem I run into is I always feel like I'm making a strictly worse version of a popular deck. Like, oh, I can play, like, Death and Taxes without the ports or the Wastelands. And, like, do you really want to see that? Like, is that really fun for people to watch? So I want to do Legacy Budget Magic. I just haven't figured out the right way to do it yet. But I that hopefully will sooner or later. Yeah, that is that is pretty funny. All right. So uh, Matt Shaw... This is kind of fish mail, but I don't use Twitter, so I'm emailing you. I think one way we could get over some of the complexity issues of colorless mana would be to stop using the phrase generic mana, as this implies a type. We need to start using the term any color. Uh, What do you guys think? Should we change the terms? Uh, So Matt doesn't like generic mana, and uh, we should be using any color. And I I had this issue today trying to read off the new Dark Dwellers. (laughs) What what, what should we call this now? Has Wizards given us any official nomenclature? Well, Uh, not that I've seen. The thing is, I think generic means uh, any color, basically. Like, I looked up the definition of generic, and it says of or relating to a whole group or class. So generic mana literally means any type of mana, which is basically what we want it to be saying. So I don't think the word is necessarily wrong or even bad i just think it's confusing because of how the colorless mana was implemented just 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 to be a pain here technically colorless is not a color so we can't use the term any color yes but i don't know i think generic mana still works uh so you you definitely can't say colorless i know i used to say colorless like three colorless two red but you definitely can't say that anymore (laughs) you have to say generic and 
once we get the new set on camera, we'll see how they refer to it at the Pro Tour. Because they're going to have to start talking about cards at the Pro Tour. And I guess that will set the nomenclature going forward. Well, I, I don't think it's going to change. Because, I mean, like you said, Richard, uh, it is generic. And, like, uh, I mean, you, you had the definition, uh, Seth. And I understand it is confusing. And I think that just has to do with the timing and everything we've basically discussed about with colorless mana. But generic literally means anything. So it includes colorless mana. So... I really don't see why we would suddenly get away from uh, when we would describe a card as, you know, an ability or a casting cost as, you know, eight generic, two colorless, or eight generic and a red, or something like that. I mean, it is, that is the rhetoric. I mean, that's what we're going to continue to use. And I think now it's just people got used to saying colorless in a red, where, but it is, has always been generic. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right. Like, we've been saying it wrong the whole time. Like both of you, I always just say colorless mana as well, or I always have. And technically, I've been we've all been saying it wrong the whole time, and we should have been saying generic the entire time. Now it all of a sudden matters, and we need to retrain ourselves uh, to say the right term, which we haven't been doing. Right. I mean, we just got used to saying that, and that's kind of just been the rhetoric of Magic players, because colorless and generic really didn't mean any – there was no distinction – or there was no – it didn't matter. I mean, they both meant the same, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, I mean, now that now that colorless actually matters and colorless has its own identity, then, you know, we just have to get used to saying generic, because that's basically what we should have been saying the whole time. Yep. So in before all the hate comments saying that we use the wrong term at the wrong time, because I'm sure we will for the next year or so as we adjust. Oh. Uh, so at OTM Shank 82, could you do a yearly sub to your site without a credit card with just PayPal? Europe would appreciate it. Uh, not really a question, but a suggestion. That's all you, Richard. But, uh, uh, yes, I'm working on it. So yes, thank you, Alexander. Uh, we will give Europe some love. Uh, at light blue gangsta, at any advice for custom cube building? I have never even played cube. <laughs> no, no one has invited me to play their cube. I feel left out. Have any uh, of you guys actually built a cube? I, no, and I'm in the same position as you, Richard. I have started to build cubes a couple of times, but never gotten too far. So I, I am not a very good person to ask. Um, oh, I can't think of the site. Um, who? Tutor. Is it is it Cube Tutor? I don't know. That's the only Cube site I can think of off the top it, of my head. There's a oh, I can't think of his name right now. Who was the original host of Magic TV with LSV? Uh, Tristan Sean Gregson. He yes. he does a yeah. lot with cubing and has a site. I'm sure you could look him up on Twitter. I don't know his site, but it has his cube listed and shows the changes he makes each time a new set comes out. So maybe look at something like that to see how people that have good and well-maintained cubes uh, work their cube. But I I can't really answer it because I don't know enough about building a cube to be helpful. So I just Googled yeah, it. There's it a... is Cube Tutor. Uh, okay. I've never used a site. I don't know, but here you go. Check out Cube Tutor. This is not an official endorsement, but apparently that's what people use. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, literature and, and sites out there dedicated to doing that. I would definitely look at what Richard and Seth said. And, uh, yeah, the reason I merely don't go into Cube that much is because I suck at drafting. So why would I build a Cube if I suck at it? <laughs> so can you, you can't upload your own Cube to Moto and somehow play this correctly, right? You have uh, to somehow, like, draft outside Moto and then that is build my, your deck. 
my one biggest request for Moto is they let us somehow make and maintain our own cubes and program. Even if we have to play a couple ticks each to actually draft them, because I understand they got to make money. But right now, no, there is no way outside of the official like vintage cube and legacy cube that they put up from time to time. There's no way to in program run a cube draft on your own. Boo, boo. All right, last question at Swamp Forest. Why is Jay sixty bucks and Warden of the First Tree three bucks? They're both mythic, both heavily played. <laughs> um, well, in terms of standard, uh, they might see the same amount of play, but one is considerably more desirable in other formats, and one isn't. So I really think that's the crux of it. Uh, Jace is sixty dollars because it's a powerful card. Uh, a lot of people wanted to use them in other formats. It has success in other formats. It's blue, so that obviously always helps uh, a card's uh, price. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, I mean, just the cards do different things. Warden the First Tree also had a reprint in a, uh event deck. Yeah, it's in the event right? deck. Yes, yeah, it was in the event deck. All those, all those factors uh, always come into prices of different cards, and that's just always been something that, over the course of Magic history, has happened. Yeah, I mean, just to echo what Chaz has been saying, for me, the two big ones are the fact that Jace is playable all the way back to Vintage and Warden isn't, and the fact that Warden has been reprinted. Those are the two things that jump out to me as the big uh, difference maker in the prices. Yeah, and I mean, even if Jace got a reprint, it wouldn't go all the way down to $3. It's always going to be a card that's desirable amongst players in any format. And yeah, just Warden just doesn't have that appeal. Yeah, I think that answers it uh, pretty nicely. So that is all our fish mail. Thank you to everyone for sending us fish mail. Uh, if you want to send us fish mail on Twitter, hashtag MTG fish mail, or you could post in the comments of the article, or you could send me an email. Um, but uh, thank you for everyone for sending their questions. We've been getting a lot of questions these past few weeks, and we yeah, enjoy answering yeah. them. Yeah, it was, uh, that was awesome. Uh, yeah, we really enjoy that. Um, Hopefully, all our answers to your questions really help. Uh, continue to ask them, and we'll answer them. Uh, is there anything else, gentlemen? I think that about wraps it up. No? Yeah, I think that's about it. Our collective, our, we, we talked about this before, uh, the cast, and we'll, we'll end on this. Uh, our collective, uh, we all agreed that Star Wars was good, and hopefully all of you saw it. We're not going to spoil anything, but I would recommend it. Uh, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It makes me so sad for the magic movie, which I know is not going to be as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, hopefully you all enjoyed Star Wars. Uh, this cast will be going up after uh, Christmas, I think, on on the same day as Christmas, right? Uh, Friday's Christmas? It'll be the day, yeah, it'll be, it usually goes oh, up Friday night, Saturday morning, so the day after Christmas. So yeah. uh, I guess... Hope everyone had a, a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And, yep, uh, Merry Christmas, happy, happy Holidays from the crew. I guess we'll have another uh, podcast before New Year's, but it'll go up after New Year's. <laughs> so yeah. we're just missing all our holidays here. We can't, we can't, we can't give any greetings to anyone. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, just goes to show you. I mean, I don't even know what day it is, so I don't. <laughs> 
Just goes to show you, I probably, I, yeah, I, I really don't have any of the shopping. There's only one date, and that's Star Wars. Everything <laughs> after or before Star Wars. Yeah, I think yeah, that matters. I, that really was the only thing that mattered this past couple of weeks for me. So I totally forgot. But yeah, just goes to show you, I have no shopping done. So that's that's gonna be. You got three days. You can do it. Yeah. You still get two days shipping from Amazon. <laughs> all right, all right, but yeah, that'll that'll about do it here for this episode. Uh. Enjoy, everyone. We will see you all next time. This is The Crew signing out. We will talk to you all soon.